do know that my experience of being in this world has been really very much changed by the teachings. And my guides have a very simple, simple teaching, which I like. And this one I'm really good with. I really work with this one. They say, you know, the action of fear is to create more fear. And that every choice you make because you're frightened calls more fear to you. And You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hi, how are you? You're with Karen Accentuating the Positive, bringing you another enlightened conversation. I'm so excited to have Paul Selleck on the show with me today. I'm loving Paul Selleck. He is a channel and he channels from his broader perspective and he's got incredible wisdom to share with all of us here down on this fabulous human experience. Let me tell you a little bit about Paul. He was born in New York City and received his master's degree from Yale. He had a spiritual experience in 1987 that left him clairvoyant. As a way to gain a context for what he was beginning to experience, he studied a form of energy healing working at Marianne Williamson's Manhattan Center for Living and in Private Practice. In the process, he began to hear for his clients and much of Paul's work now is as a clairvoyant, clairaudient and a channel and empath. Paul has led channel energy groups for many years and in 2009 he was invited to channel at the Esalen Institute Superpower Symphonium where he was filmed for the upcoming documentary Authors of the Impossible. He is a subject to, of a short documentary film Paul and the Word and is featured on an A&E biography channel series The Unexplained which premiered in August 2012. So excited to have you on the show, Paul. Thanks so much for joining us here in Australia on Accentuate the Positive. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about your guides. I've been reading your book, The Book of Knowing and Worth. And although I want to talk about your story and how this all happened, I really want to explore the book of knowing and worth because it me it's it, it means a lot to me because I'm struggling with that myself. Worthiness has been a, for me a bit of a pattern, I guess, uh, throughout my life, and I think that is for a lot of people. You know, really knowing our worth. I thought at this ripe old age that I was pretty worthy, but I still have issues coming up. And reading the book, I feel like the book is an exercise in affirmation of. Uh-huh. It, you know, when you read it, you've got so many affirmations that just, you know, you, you repeat yourself over and over again. It's a it's an exercise in really establishing your worth. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. In uh, 1987, something extraordinary happened to you, which left you clairvoyant. What happened? You know, I don't even know what happened anymore. I, I, I can tell you the story as I understand it and as I remember it. I was very recently on a spiritual path. I had grown up and been raised pretty much an atheist. So I had the beginnings of an inkling uh, that there was a God through some things that had happened. And there was this thing happening in 87 that people were calling the harmonic convergence. And somebody said, well, people are going to be waking up. And I just decided I was going to ask to be woken up because, you know, if there was a God or something out there and I suddenly was believing there was after a lifetime of not, it occurred to me that perhaps you could just 
asked to be woken up and that would be fine. So um, I went up to the roof and I asked and I ended up having an experience. And I always say, for all I know, I may well have been hyperventilating, um, but it was an experience of energy moving up through my body. It was a very physical experience. And I then began seeing little lights around people very shortly thereafter. And that was the beginning of what I now suspect or can call clairvoyance, although my primary ability is really as a clairaudient and a clairsentient. But, you know, I was seeing little lights and um, I'd never seen little lights before. And that really did sort of provoke me to stay on a path, I think, and, and give me some kind of evidence that there was more to the world than I had been led to believe thus far. It's interesting that you say you asked because I believe, you know, I've got a, I've got a mob that I call blissful beings that I talk to. I used to call them my common sense. It was, unlike yeah. your experience, mine was a gradual coming to understand, just uh -huh. like coming to understand that we all have, we all have this and mm -hmm. we can develop it. And um, they say to me that anything that we experience in life, we actually ask for. We ask for through our asking or we ask for through our vibration. I was speaking mm -hmm. to someone the other day who's bringing through a frequency, a healing frequency. And um, I said, you asked for it. And she said, well, I asked to know what my purpose was. So it's not like you ask specifically for what you get, but you ask no. and it comes, it comes in ways that delights you really. Did it delight you when you started seeing lights around people? I, it gave me something that I think I needed very badly at that time in my life. Um, it gave me something experiential, as did the energy, as did sort of the opening, you know, to clear audience. I had, you know, heard some stuff and, and, you know, that I had followed. And it was the very beginning back in 87. But I also developed over many years, truthfully. Um, did it delight me? Yes, it did. It encouraged me. And it gave me something to hold on to because I was moving into very uncharted territory in my life. I was raised without this stuff. I had a master's degree from Yale. I was, this was not what I expected to be doing with my, my time or my life, but it felt essential at that moment. So the lights were encouraging and I still see them and I still don't know what they are half the time. They're beautiful when well, they show. You know, this is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you because it's so exciting when you meet someone that has a similar experience to you. And, and when mm -hmm. I saw you talking about the lights, I was like, oh, Oh, he sees the lights too because I see the lights like uh -huh. I've, I've interviewed a lot of clairvoyants who see people sitting on couches you know they sit and I'm like you actually see them like physically with your eyes and they say yes and I say are they see-through and they go yes and I'm thinking I don't experience that but what I experience is lights around people all the time yeah. I see and they're different colors and I know that their spirit or energy or spirit I'm mm -hmm. never quite sure exactly who they are but they're different mm -hmm. colors Predominantly turquoise blue is the light I see a lot. Do you know exactly who they are or what? No, I don't. <laughs> you know, I mean, I there's different things when I when, you know when I'm when I'm reading somebody, and a light goes off over their head. I know that something. I actually I just know that they have had a thought that I need to inquire about. Okay. You know, I'm also a college teacher. I've taught at university for 25 years or more now. And um, when my students were sitting there, occasionally a light would go off over their head and I would call on them. I said, what were you thinking? And they say, how did you know? But, you know, it was like the idea light bulb. Mm -hmm. I've done workshops where blue lights have gone off over 
crown chakras right and left, like flashbulbs going off. It's astonishing to see. Yeah. And other times, you know, these orbs show up in the room that are really sort of large um, and beautifully colored. And I always perceived those to be, you know, very different sort of consciousness and guides and high level consciousness. What I'm seeing flashing around people, I think are, are possibly very different things. Sometimes I think they're the living just peeking in on an energetic level. So that's my experience with them. Have you asked your gods? I asked them at the time, you know, you know, it's funny when I'm reading, I'm very present with the information. And the moment I'm not reading, I don't know what the hell I was talking about. You know? it's, it's been the case, you know, I channel these books, I sit there, I close my eyes and the books are dictated. They're not even edited, they're published. Really just the, just the transcript, the type transcripts of the verbal dictation. But I often say I'm not the best student of the work and I don't consider myself an expert on this, you know? I don't know how one gets to be an expert on this. I don't know. I, I think I'm always going to be a student. I'm fascinated by it. I'd love to understand more. But yeah, in the moment, I will ask what the lights is, what the light may be, for usually for a client, and I'll get I'll get information for them, the specific. You know, so many teachers say that, and I, I'm right there. I've, you know, so many teachers that bring through absolutely exalted wisdom say exactly the same you know I'm no expert I'm just human I'm fallible I have my ego I have my doubts I'm still learning and I think that's just the perfection of the human condition that those doubts and that that you know you wouldn't want to be an expert because then the ride of physical life wouldn't be as exciting it wouldn't be as as adventurous bringing through the wisdom so that other people can benefit including yourself Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a service, I suppose. But being human with our doubts and our fears and is uh, is the joy of the ride, really. <laughs> I think it's part of it. I suspect what my guides would say. Yes. Who who is doubting? I think that's what they would say. Which aspect of you is doubting? And they would say that that's the small self, not the yeah. divine self, which is really their teaching or the true self actually knows and their teaching has been very much about moving us to that place of knowing i think on an egoic level i'm wary of experts i mean frankly i don't know how to fix a car i would go to an expert in fixing cars i want somebody who has that level of expertise but i think in this work which for me unfolds i think that i'm i'm always going to be if i'm lucky somewhat astonished by it because it's uh, it's phenomena it happens and when i'm in the phenomena of it and when i work you know as a channel there's an an enormous amount of energy that comes into the room and works on everybody in ways that we can all feel and the books the guides say are energetic transmissions that work on the reader so i love this stuff how does it happen i think one day science may have answers but up until then i'm I'm here doing my best to stay open to the experience and not let the small self or the the ego sort of shut me down. The questions I think are healthy still. Mm. It doesn't mean that I deny the work. It means that I'm the first one to say, I don't really know how it happens. Mm -hmm. I just know that it happens. Beautiful. So I'd love to discuss the book, your latest book, The Book of Knowing and Worth. I think, as you say, that all the books are worth reading because they're all an energetic transmission. So they're working as we're read, as the reader is reading the book, they're working on our consciousness. They're allowing us to 
maybe not give as much power to the egoic self, the one that doubts, the one that doubts, the one that worries, the one that questions. And what I love about your work, do you have a name for your guides? Do you call them anything or you just call them? Usually I'm comfortable calling them the guides. Occasionally they come through with names and the new book, which will be out in January, they do. But the guides is what I've been calling them because my ex used to say, ask the guides this, ask the guides that. That's how they got the name, the guides. Uh-huh. Not any other reason that it was convenient. And it's a comfortable name, you know, for, for, for easy conversation. But what I love about what they say is every time I've seen you talk and when I read your book, it's as you choose, you create, you choose, you choose, you choose. And mm-hmm. it's always about choice. It's, mm-hmm. it's like completely empowering that nothing is happening to us. We are uh-huh. choosing in every moment. Every thought is a choice. Every thought is a decision. And we're choosing. Like when I hear you speak and when I hear you channel, mm-hmm. I, that's for me, that's what comes through. You choose, you choose. We are, in fact, choosing how we live our lives and how people respond to us in every breath, every thought, every identified summation. Like I am, I'm not. I can, I can't, I won't, mm-hmm. I would never. All of those are choice. How do we start to live more in alignment with knowing our worth? Because the book is, the book of, it's like knowing your worth. You know, I think it goes back again to the who we self-identify as. Now, if I want to continue to self-identify through my personality self, you know, I'm Paul, I'm of this age, um, this is, these are all the things that are wrong with me or right with me. And my guides would call this the frame or one of the frames that we hold. And the guides say, you know, we all carry these frames of personality. And they said the purpose of the frame is to fill itself. And this is their gesture for that with what we expect to be there. So if I claim myself as lonely, I am calling loneliness to me. I am in accord with it. Now, you use the word choice. My guides often use it, but they also use the word agreement. And agreement, I actually feel better about because, you know, I'm not choosing. I I don't believe that I'm choosing to be single or choosing to be angry at so-and-so. But I may well be in agreement with those things, which means I'm in accordance with them. I'm in energetic alignment and accordance. And consequently, I'm claiming through that belief. It may not be a conscious choice at all. It may well be a kind of programming from personal history, societal history, whatever, whatever the crap is we carry with us that my guides would say is not who we are. So the simple answer is, who is worthy? Who is the aspect of the self that is worthy? Now, the guides teach the divine self. They call it a number of different names, but the divine self or the true self, sometimes they'll use the word Christ itself, and their definition of that is that the Christ is the aspect of the creator that can be manifested in physical form. And they say that that's who everybody is, an aspect of the creator. So the alignment to the identity as an aspect of the creator manifested in form makes you worthy. Why wouldn't you be? You know, when my guides teach workshops, they'll often say things in exercises to people like, you know, you were born, you have a right to be here. You have the ticket to be here. You were born. You don't have to earn your place on this planet. You have a right to be here. Now, most of us have been told we don't in one way or another. 
And the true self or the divine self that they're asking us to align as and with and to, which they say wants to be expressed as and through us, calls to us those things that are in accord with it. So the true self calls into manifestation those things that will support its own realization. And they, my guides say this is all school. You know what I mean? That's yeah. what it is. So I'm just here. You're in New York, aren't you? I'm in New York City. Just... And this is actually, the sirens may continue. It's the nature of the place. <laughs> I'm actually on the 12th floor. So you're hearing this from. Wow. From, uh-huh. Well, here's what I get, the urgency of this information. For anyone that's watching this, those sirens, say, pay attention. <laughs> They're getting people's attention. So worth, knowing our worth. This book, you know, is so very much about claiming our worth and living knowing who we really are as someone who brings through this knowledge. How do you live the principles yourself? How does it look to fully know your true worth? For you. Well, you're a you're assuming that I do, and I don't say that I do. I wish I did, and it's a challenge for me some days to continue to show up for this work and be the radio for it. But in a lot of ways, I think it's important. While I can, I can explain the teachings as I understand them, I'm not the teacher, and the guides are the teachers. So in many ways, it's like asking the radio to the radio itself is not the song it's playing. It's yeah. the content. And when I'm channeling, really, it's like asking the radio to judge the broadcast or the faucet to judge the water. How does it feel to live these teachings when I'm channeling and I am operating as the guides because they're coming through in a very, very direct way? It feels fairly extraordinary because there's no fear. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there is deep compassion and deep love. When I'm walking around, when I'm walking down the street and I'm angry at myself for having gained 20 pounds that I didn't need to gain and thinking about the conversation I wish I had had, I'm operating really from my small self and as my small self. And as I do that, I actually incur what it's in accord with, which is, you know, the energy of self-deprecation and frustration and all those things. The interesting thing is I do have access to these tools. The guides are very, very big on them. And when I work with them, they're in great support of my shifting my thinking or my, my energetic transmission. Our guy, my guides say that, you know, our transmission is our consciousness. That's what it is. That's our broadcast. That's how we're broadcasting. So the living of this, it's interesting, you know, I'm watching people because I'm on the road a lot now just channeling, you know, and it's, this is the last thing I ever thought I would be doing. I'll be completely honest with you. I didn't really, this isn't what I thought I had signed on for. You know, I was fascinated with the work, but I was channeling in my living room for a small group of people for probably close to 20 years. Wow. I began wow. in my early 30s. Mm and not even thinking it was channeling. I just wanted to do energy work with people because I was working with this very beautiful energy in those days. And it wasn't until the first book was published that I was outed. I had a website for a few years, maybe two years before that without my name on it because yeah. I, didn't want anybody to find, I didn't want anybody to find me. I was using it for clients 
who, you know, I have clients, you know, I'm a very good empath. So I have this very odd ability to step into people. So if you want to know what's going on with your sister, I can step into your sister. I'll often start to resemble her wow. and I'll be wow. able to hear all the parts. It's, it's a, I guess it's a form of physical mediumship, but I was seeing clients who wanted to talk to the guides and wanted me to tune in to the people in their lives or their business. But you would only get there really if you had a referral. I was using it to take payment. I didn't want people to know. I was a university professor, mm -hmm. you know, or a teacher. And I just assumed that I wasn't allowed to be public. And now it's been done for me. You know, the books have done it. And now I'm on the road a lot and I'm being in this work. And I'm really highly aware at this moment in my life, and I'll be completely honest with you, mm -hmm. of where I don't feel that my life is in accord with the teachings. Yes. And these tend to be the places where I'm still in fear, have an investment in being who I thought I was. Yeah. There's a new book, it'll be out in January from Tartar Penguin called The Book of Mastery. And when the guides began that book in the introduction, they said to me, you don't get to just be the channel anymore. You're going to really do the work this time. Uh -huh. <laughs> that book, it's true, but it kicked my butt. It hasn't stopped. They said the integration for me would be about six months. I think we're looking at the end of the summer for some integration. So I'm still in process and I'm not expecting to announce at the end of August that I have arrived to some enlightened state. But I do know that my experience of being in this world has been really very much changed by the teachings. You know, I was a skeptic and in some ways I was a skeptic and in some ways I am still. And I was somebody that didn't necessarily really even believe in channeling. I'd seen some people do it and I thought that they were probably deluded. This was when I was very young. I was judgmental about it, you know, and I occasionally I see somebody, somebody will send me a clip on YouTube and I always look for what I find familiar about the experience. But, you know, I'm not a very graceful channel. And if anybody's seen me work, I whisper the words, I repeat them. There's an accent. It's coming sometimes a mile a minute. Sometimes it's shouty. Sometimes it feels too slow. And all I'm doing is keeping up the dictation. You know, being a channel, in my opinion, and, a good, and truthfully being a good channel, is really about being the radio. You know, it's, yeah, the, or in my case, taking dictation. The translator. Yeah, very much. I, look, as you speak, you speak, you're speaking my life. It's so funny. Because when I was in my 20s, I went to see this woman channeling. Not to say that what was coming through was not worth listening to, but I was not listening to it because I was so skeptical because she was putting on the whole persona. She was putting on an accent. She yeah. was saying that she was some person from another planet or something. And as a young girl, I'm looking at her sort of quizzically thinking, what the hell is going on? Not listening to a word she said, but thinking, where is she? And I've got to say my BS meter was off the Richter scale because the the theatre, the theatre of the experience was so huge that yeah. I, I couldn't hear the message because the theatre was too distracting. And I understand. When I started bringing through their messages, it was very, without any theatre, it's exactly in my voice, it's exactly in my personality, and it doesn't actually sound like I've shifted to any higher consciousness. It's just a continuation of me blabbing. But I know I've shifted because I don't know the stuff that I'm saying, you know, and 
And then after I finish saying it, I go, wow, that was so cool. (laughs) But there's a very smooth transition from me to them, from me to them, from me to them. So it's, it's so interesting the theater of bringing through the message. So it's a way to put it. My guide, I find, to be somewhat theatrical in presentation. Yeah. Now, it didn't used to be that way, you know, and I've seen old video, a, a video of me when I first began channeling publicly. And, you know, I was actually sitting in, I was rocking. I was rocking back and yeah. forth and back and forth in the chair and muttering and repeating, and it was just it looked completely crazy, and I knew that. It was unfortunate, but I couldn't, that's how it was coming through me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the books didn't come through with an accent until halfway through the, well, actually not, towards the beginning of the second book, it began to appear. And I actually went through a process initially of being very uncomfortable with it, but I realized that when I, the, what I would call the guide with the accent came through, I was actually trusting the transmission much more because it felt so other from me. It yeah. felt so distinctly different. Okay. And that allowed me to really do my job, which was to, you know, I, I say I'm like, I'm in the backseat of the car letting somebody else drive through this thing. And I've had to come to terms with some of this because I, you know, I do workshops sometimes and occasionally somebody will be there who just got dragged there and I'll see their face, which is like, huh, what the hell is this guy doing? And I just can't care anymore. I really, really can't. My job, like it or not, is to show up for this work regardless of of how I feel. And even on the days when I'm questioning it all, you know, there's a wonderful quote by um, Helen Schuchman, who's the woman who wrote, who channeled A Course in Miracles, which I've actually never read. I started it when I was in my 30s and, and thought it was beautiful, but I, I just wasn't comprehending it. And it was very dense for me at the time. But there's a quote that I love and she, about the work. And she said, you know, I don't believe it, but I know it's true. And I so get that. That's exactly what it feels like. I mean, it's it's not how we're raised. We're not raised to believe that we can sort of work, that our consciousness can merge with something else. I mean, I was a playwright. So the idea of the imagination coming through and the idea of seeing things in your head and then rendering them and the idea of of letting a character become you as you're writing them all made perfect sense. But what I didn't know until an interviewer asked me a number of years ago, because I thought that there was no connection, I was actually putting myself in a light trance before I ever wrote. I would put on a piece of music on loop and it would play for hours. And I was just receding and letting stuff come through me. It wasn't until I was doing a reading for somebody. And I I think this was how it happened. I mean, it's things like it had happened, but it was very specific. Some woman asked about her father. And for some reason, I think I asked for his whole name. And I had my eyes closed and the woman gasped because her father had been pretty horrible to her and was no longer living. And, she, and I opened my eyes and said, what's wrong? And she said, oh my God, you look just like him. Wow. And I had somatized the guy. I just took on his posture and yeah. facial expressions and attitude. And that's when I began to realize whatever's going on is happening really in, in some, some kind of interesting way. But you know, it sure goes to show you that you know, consciousness isn't localized in the physical body. 
Yeah. It's much, much greater than, than, than the mechanism that we're fortunate enough to have to be here with. Well, it's kind of like you try on their energy, you try on their energy suit, like you put on their cardigan, their energy cardigan. And mm-hmm. I don't know, people can explore that, you know, you could, you could, you could try on, maybe there is someone you revere, a spiritual teacher or a playwright or an actor or anybody that you revere, there's some qualities about their personality that you would like. You could literally do what you do and, you know, you ask to sort of pretend to be them. Like, well, but that's not it. You well, see, that's the. This is, let me explain, because it's an interesting thing, because it's really not about pretending. Well, and it's not, about a, it's not about imagining. Okay. Tell me. This is what it is. Okay. I operate as a radio. When I tune into somebody, I am literally tuning into the station Frequency. or the broadcast that is them, yeah. and I'm aligning to it to let it play through me. That's really it. The idea of imagining concerns me because, you know, I don't know half the people. I don't mostly when I when I read for people, I don't know anybody that I'm tuning into unless it happens to be I'm tuning a friend says, can you tune into my boyfriend? I don't know what's happening with us. And I may do that. But mostly what it is, it's about a kind of alignment. And you have to first, but you know, I'm going to agree that I do think anybody can do this, but I think that we haven't been taught that we can. We're much more sensitive than we know. Yeah. I think that we do it all the time without really knowing it. Yeah. Many times. Yeah. Sometimes. I once did a workshop, a constellation workshop where there was a group of us put it in the middle of the room and, and someone had an issue and then she named us, you're my mother, you're my father, you're my a family constellation thing, I can't remember. And then nothing was said and we just had to like, okay, I'm your mother and then react to what we were feeling. Uh-huh. And I felt desperately ill and mm. like I was dying and then I sort of acted like I was dying and this poor girl who I didn't know burst into tears because her mother got sick and died and to tell you the truth paul that was the worst one of the worst days i ever had i never wanted to do that ever again because i physically felt this woman's pain and Mm. where and i just thought that was not nice i don't want to do that you know like never Uh, went back to one of those workshops again what you were doing was what i do in practice yeah and you know, I don't do a lot of work with people that have crossed over. I don't really consider my I consider myself a spiritual channel, but not necessarily a spiritual medium. And I do when people who've crossed come over, I often feel first how they cross, which is what you're doing. You know, that's a very that's that's a way of, of signifying. So, you know, if I am tuning into somebody who's crossed and I get a pain in my chest, I can assume it's a heart attack or a pulmonary issue. But you know, when I feel other people's pain, which I do, and sometimes it's physical, it's mostly emotional, psychic, I'm there only long enough to understand it. I can't carry it. It's not a good thing. It's not my pain to carry. And if I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it in order to be able to support somebody, I think, in understanding or moving it. And so it's, it's a useful thing. It's a useful thing but, you know, when it first started, my experience was like yours because I didn't know. I was, I mean, I trained as a hands-on, hands-on energy healer yeah. when I was in my 30s, but nobody yeah. explained to me, nobody explained to me about clairsentience. Yeah. So I was volunteering at this place that was providing services for people with life-challenging illness because they asked me to come and volunteer. So I did it. And I found that I was taking on people's symptoms before they walked into the room. 
Me too. And, you know, yeah. some of it was fun. You know, some of it, but I got to feel other things. You know, I'm the only guy, and I say this sometimes, I'm the only guy that I know that knows what it feels like to have a hot flash. You know, I'm sure <laughs> people that have. You know, I felt, you know, pregnancy is just a You've creepy thing. I have given birth once. I did the reading. I was reading a midwife, and it was it was a it was a bad pregnancy. It was the child didn't make it, and I actually was going into the whole scenario where I was becoming the mother and the midwife, and I was you know trying to, to trying to help somebody understand. But it's um it's a fascinating thing, and it's an it's an amazing gift to be able to feel that stuff. But I only realized what I was doing really through some trial and error. And when I teach workshops, my guides teach people how to do it pretty frequently. Okay. And you know, and people are really good. Again, these are things that we, we have access to. But we've been told we've been told no, so we don't we don't do it. You know, there's a woman, I like this story only because there was a, I was teaching at the Esalen Institute, which is this wonderful place in California. And there was a woman who transferred into my workshop because she didn't like her yoga teacher or something. And she didn't know what she was getting into. She wasn't there for the first night. But my guides taught tracking, you know, and sort of how to tune into the field and pick up information. And she was working with a partner and she said, she was working with this really lovely guy and she said, there's something here that's not supposed to be here. And the guy opened up his shirt and he had a medical port under the skin. Uh -huh. So she was feeling the blockage, uh -huh, uh -huh. you know, and that kind of thing, you don't know that you can do it until you do it. Uh -huh. And then once you can do it, it gets sort of built in. It's like if you, if you never try to touch your tongue to your nose, you don't know if it's possible. But the moment you can, it becomes a skill or an ability that you can work with. And I think a lot of this stuff is like that. And I think we're all much more gifted than we've been taught that we were. Look, it's fascinating. And I think that, you know, the exploration of our energetic, you know, what's possible is just so thrilling and exciting. And I want to see universities teaching this. I want to, I want to see it taught in every school, you know, like I just, I want to see this understanding expand. I think it's important. But in saying that, mm -hmm. I've honed my skills in that area. Like in my 30s, I did so many energy healing. Uh -huh. As you speak, you're just talking my life and I'm just like sitting here going, ah. but anyway, but in saying that, I still, I'm going to quiz you again because I'm, I'm going to ask you personally, I still want to know how it is that we can really embody this understanding of really owning our worth as infinite, intelligent incredible beings i mean without the fear without the doubt for you let's let's look at you because i struggle with it uh, i see some people don't struggle with it but i do so i've honed my intuitive and uh, psychic abilities but i'm still you know what do you do when you hit your doubt how do you apply the knowledge well i mean i i, I you know when you were first talking i was tempted to go to my guides because you were saying how is this done yeah and how they would describe that might be different than my personal process of this. Okay. When I hit the doubt, and every time, I'll be honest with you, every time I've taken a step forward in my work, I've mostly hit some doubt yeah. as I pass to the next level. That's yeah. just what it's been. You know, when I first studied energy healing, I had so much fear 
that somebody could be hurt. What is this? Is this okay? There were symbols you were using in the air. And I went, oh my God, that sounds witchy. I was making everything scary. And I was raised an atheist. I had, didn't have this, you know, I had past life baggage that I know about now, but that wasn't my baggage. And I continued, and this is the one thing I give myself some credit for, I, I continued to show up in the face of not believing some days yeah. and not wanting to do it. And then, you know, but I'm going to go to the guide. So how do we embody, was your question, in the face of doubt. Now, I should just say, for people who haven't seen me channel, when I channel, I whisper the words and I repeat them. It's not terribly graceful. It's just how it comes through takes a moment to get used to how you embody yourself. How you embody yourself as your true self is the work of the text that we write with recently. And we will tell you very simply that anchoring the divine as you, that anchoring the divine as you in your vibratory field, in your vibratory field, which is the claim of the word, which is the claim of the word or the action of the creator as you, aligns you to, to your potential outside of what you have known. You cannot do this through personalities. As long as you're relying on the personality to be your benefactor, you will stay in the prison of the small self, of the small self. The alignment to the divine self, the Christ itself as we teach, or the truth who you are, or the truth of who you are imprinted in your field, imprinted in your field, creates for you the, the progression you need to realign every aspect of life, to realign every aspect of your life to the truth of who you are. But most of you invest in great meaning in who you think you should be, how you've been named by others how you have been named by others, how you claim yourself in egoic ways, yes. In egoic ways, yes. And the unattachment to these things, in most cases, is too fearful for you to see the personality self. You see the personality self as the one who invests in fear, is the one who invests in fear. The divine self cannot be afraid. The divine self cannot be afraid, she knows who she is. She does not align to fear because fear cannot exist at the level of creation. She lives at. She lives at. And they're saying period, period, period. So that's the beginning of the answer. That's what I'm hearing. That's the beginning of the answer. But this is what they've been teaching. I mean, now it'll be four books. But it is... This and you know I, I'll be honest. I just started to get this teaching, and it took me four books to get it. You know, I was doing a actually I'll say this: I was doing a workshop in Toledo, Ohio, in the Midwest, and the guides were teaching this claim. They're not really affirmations; they're claims of truth. My guides say, and the one they were teaching is: I know who I am. I know what I am. I know how I serve, which means I know who I am as the aspect of the Creator, as my divine self. I know what I am in this incarnation. I know how I serve, which just means how you're expressed in your highest way. And this man burst out into tears. And I said, what's going on? And he said, you know, I don't have to be afraid anymore. I get it. I don't have to be afraid. And I sat there thinking, I wish I got it because that sounds great. I'm scared all the time. And I was scratching my head. And when I was channeling the new book, they re I really got it. Because I was going through some, as I said, the guide said, you're going to go through the teachings. And I started to. And some stuff was happening. And the guide said, you know, the divine self cannot be persecuted. 
it's not possible. The only self that can be persecuted is the ego. That's it. The divine self, it doesn't, it's not possible. Just, the divine self can never be afraid. Yeah. I want to unpack. I want to unpack the ego. All right. Okay. So people perceive success and success, this is what I'm grappling with at the moment. I get sort of frustrated and angry with all these success coaches and make money and be successful. And, and so success is defined through money, through how many listeners, clients, fans you have, through how, through how many people are looking at you and saying, you're good. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like maybe that's an egoic idea of success, totally, something, yeah. something mm -hmm. that I and most of us buy into, you know what I mean? And even though I've got the knowledge of that success is living outside of fear, living your divine self in that place of bliss, in that place of knowing, in that place of, and it doesn't require people looking at you saying, you're fantastic, you're doing well, you're making money, you're slim, you're beautiful, you're famous, you're, you know, there's like unpacking the ego would be letting go of ideas of success in a way that money is going to make me successful. Well, you know, it's it's an old teaching. You're right. I still struggling with embodying it because money has been my issue. I'm doing this work and I will do it to the day I die. And if people pay me or not, that doesn't matter because I'm doing it. But then I wake up one day and I've got no money in the bank and I think, huh, I should actually get out there and make some money. And what does that look like? I've got a I've got to tell people how good I am. I've got to appear to be successful in some way. There's, you know, like in order to attract people to you, it's sort of really tied up in a whole lot of ego. I don't know. Uh, if you go there, if that's what you agree to, and if that's what you believe you have to do to get what you want, it will be. Because that's not been my experience with this work. This work I show up for and I offer it up and I do show up and I'll do the business that I need to do. You know, I'll show up at the events I'm supposed to be at and I'll make the plane reservations and things like that. But I'm not invested in the way that I actually used to be around stuff. I, I also think that this stuff came to me. I'm 53 years old now. And I was actually told by, and when I was in my early 30s and I was revved up and like, oh, I'm special and I can do these things and what about me? Somebody said to me, a, good, a couple of mediums independently said, one of them said, you know, you're, you're going to have a big career change at the, in your late 40s and early 50s. You really need to take it. You live longer. And somebody else said to me, you know, your work has been veiled until your late 40s or 50 because that's the time that it's right for you to be present for this. And, you know, I Am the Word was published when I was, I think, 48, 49, four years ago. I'm 53 now. I'll be honest. I think had this happened 10 years ago, I would have been on an ego. I don't know. I would, I would have been too scared. I was too busy hiding. But you, you brought up some very important things because the old Christian teaching, truthfully, which my guides utilize and they unpack it differently, but it's, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven 
All that is, in their opinion, is the awareness of the divine in all things. That's the kingdom. And all things will be added because you have to know the source of your stuff. Now, if I think that my job is the source of my income or my partner is the source of my being loved, if I had one, uh, or if my home is the source of my security, I'm essentially... I'm going to say it almost sort of creating false gods, you know, because when the job goes away, do I have income? If the home goes away, am I protected? If the partner goes away, am I still loved? And my guides, I think, would say, and not just them, I think this is sort of old metaphysics, truthfully, is we have to begin to realize what the source is. And that the channels can change, but that the source is what we're aligning to. And I don't know that that means that we're passive to it. I think we show up. The thing that you're bringing up, which I think is very important, and I'm glad to hear it, is even in the new age, or what we want to even call the new age, there's a big emphasis on creating stuff, manifesting stuff. And my guides say, you know, there's nothing wrong with living in the house on the hill. Somebody gets to live there. But ask yourself why you want it. Because if why you want it is because that's what it means to be successful, or you're going to be the envy of your neighbors, or you're going to make your sister jealous or something like that, you're creating in fear. And my guides have a very simple, simple teaching, which I like. And this one I'm really good with. I really work with this one. They say the action of fear is to create more fear. And that every choice you make because you are frightened, calls more fear to you. And, that, and, they, and they say, look at your life, look at every choice you ever made because you were afraid and see where it got you. It's probably more fear. I've got a fantastic example of that. That's just so key. I was living in a house I was being evicted from because I decorated it and they wanted to put up the rent and I was fighting them. So I was in fear. And then I moved in with an ex-employee of mine who was going to move out of her house because she'd had boyfriend troubles and I was going to take on her lease. So I moved in with her and she became spastic and ended up locking myself and my young daughter out of the house and, and packing up all my furniture and shipping it off because she was kind of spastic. But as I sat in my brother's back room, this happened in my 30s, I looked at, I created in fear. I moved into her house because I feared that I wouldn't be able to get another house because I was a single mom and I didn't have a lot of income. And so I thought, well, I can take on your lead. Everything I did, I did out of fear. And it just expanded. It just got worse until I found myself with a suitcase and my daughter living in the back of my brother's house in a single bed. The two of us living in this single bed for about two weeks because this woman had this spaz attack. But I created it all out of fear. It was all fear-based decisions that had me there. And that's so key. That's so key. It's, a, it's an easy barometer sometimes. And if I think that I have to play by the rules to get my needs met, that's okay. But you know, you're, you're then sort of adhering to the laws of culture. This is popular. This is what you can do. This is what you need to be successful. Somebody once said that these are the things you need to do to be successful. And everybody goes, okay, and this is what we do. But I don't know that that's necessarily following, I would almost want to say spiritual law. I read for a lot of people 
who are trying to get ahead as if this is a business. And there is business attached to the work. We have the right to, to be you know, clothed and fed. But truthfully, if I approach this at the cost of forgetting spiritual truth, I might as well be selling shoes someplace. Do you know what I mean? And this is the, this is, I'm better at this because I do feel that I've been supported by my guides or whoever in, in, in this. I'm shocked, truthfully. I'm really at the point where I'm considering letting go of one of my academic appointments after having had it for 25 years to allow me to be on the road more for the work. And that job was my sense of security and identity. And, you know, nobody had to know I was a psychic and I could just show up and do my stuff and have a normal life. And my attachment to who I thought I was may not be as needed anymore. So I get to ask this question of myself now. Am I holding on to something out of fear or Am I holding on to something because it still brings me things that are valuable? Like I really love teaching. I'm a good teacher. It's a fun thing for me. So what's you the know? answer? I don't know yet. I'm, <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm still with it. And I feel like when I respond to this, it's going to be a big deal for me because I had this job since I was, you know, 25, 26 years old. It's been a big part of my life. It's like any relationship. That's yeah, all. true, true. Change is, uh, yeah, change is always challenging. But, mm -hmm. you know, you said I'm a teacher, I love teaching. But, Paul, you're still a teacher and you're still, I mean, your work is teaching. Uh, oh, it is. Look, I have to say something to you. Um, sure. You know, you say, and you've said a few times today, you know, I'm not the teacher, I'm just the guy that sits in the chair. And my guides actually said to me when I was exploring channeling years ago, do I call myself a channel because I communicate with you or do I just call myself me? You know, my website used to be called Blissful Beings. It used to be named after them. And then I shifted it to me because this is what they said to me, not that I'm Jesus, but we're all the Christed energy. You know, he never said he was channeling God. He said he yep. was an extension of that energy. Yep. And so, and then they said, it's your choice. <laughs> It's your choice, you know. And I thought, yeah, but uh, being a teacher doesn't mean that you can't still be fallible because that's how we learn. No, I'm still a teacher. When I'm channeling, when I'm doing that work, I'm allowing the information to come through me. It may actually be information that I'm personally in disagreement with. Really? Um, yeah. I mean, if you look at the books, I mean, I'm interrupting every few pages saying, what the hell are you talking about? You know, <laughs> this doesn't feel quite right. And then they have to unpack it. And that's been the way the books have come through because the books can't be edited, but I'm uncomfortable bringing through a well, teaching that doesn't feel true to me. So I inquire and I get, they have to explain it. And then I'm going, okay, I get it now. Yeah. Well, I was reading last night that you started uh -huh. you started a paragraph or you were, you know, a paragraph yeah. stuff. And then coming through you, they said, we're going to start this again because Paul's in the way. He's interfering with the, the transmission. Way. So Happens we're going to say to you, Paul, get out of the way. And then we're going to start this paragraph again. <laughs> and I just laughed. I'm like, oh, I laughed because I was reading that. And the new book too. I mean, you know, and it's, it's awful when that happens for me. I get very frightened because, you know, there's a book expected of me and I go, because the deal has been that I can't edit it and change it, if the guides say it, it winds up in the book. Yeah. The only 
gaps that are cut are those things that are interruptions. When I say, I can't do this, it doesn't make sense. And the woman who's on the phone with me through the channeling says, Paul, relax. It's fine. Just go back, sit in the chair and calm down and let's start. But those things are listed in the books as interruptions. I don't cut the stuff that I'm not comfortable with. As to being the teacher, my guides really teach the workshops that I am there for. So, and I do make a bit of a distinction between them and me. If they are the highest part of me, if they are something that I'm linked into at a much higher level, and that's possible, I'm great with that. But what I don't get to do is develop the same kinds of relationships I have because the Paul person would say a class because the Paul personality is receded through the channeling. So I come out during the breaks or I come out for psychic reading stuff and I'm very present and I enjoy that. I get to be me a bit more. But, you know, I do know of other channels who said, you know, this is going to come as me or else. And that's how the information comes. And I respect that. It's quite possible. See, I think when you talked about Jesus, I think Jesus was speaking as the Christ. He, had a, he was assumed at that level, or anyone who has really ascended in consciousness, the Buddha, whoever you want to say, they speak as truth. And at that level, but I think... they still have a personality. They still have a human personality. Have, yes, they do. But I think that the personality is relegated to a very... This is my understanding from the guide's teachings, and I'm still grappling with this one, believe me that the personality is relegated to a different place. It is no longer running the show. And the guides talk about the difference between personality, which they say is a construct. Yeah. It's made up of history. It's made up of what we've been taught. And character, which they say is essential to us and informs personality but is not. And that character can survive. Personality really doesn't in the same way. I think that, you know, the sub, it's not even about subjugating the personality. It's about being the true self. And the true self isn't operating in fear, isn't operating with an agenda, isn't trying to get all his needs met in whatever way he can or she can. That's the small stuff. The true self, I think, which is who my guides would say who we truly are, is available for a vastly different experience of being. And that's what they're teaching through me. And I'm, I'm just showing up for it, I'll tell you. That's, what, that's all I know how to do. Well, my definition of the true self would be, you know, centered in love and centered in, in service. I mean, centered in wanting to give and not needing to get. Because you don't need to get when you know you, there's nothing to get. You know, when you know there's nothing to get because you have it all, then you're centered in giving. And, you know, often I'm there and often I'm not. I'm, I'm often in giving and then sometimes I think, I'm doing all this giving, what am I getting? You know, I'm back in personality. Where, where is it for me? Where's me? Where's me? But I want to ask you something about the Christ because in the book the Christ is used a lot. The Christ can be born in man is something that the guides say. How would you or they define the Christ? It's a very, their, their definition has been, in every book, they say the same thing. They say that the Christ is the aspect of the creator that can be realized in material form. So it's the divine as you. It's the divine truth operating as and through you in realization. 
And that the expression of that true self, they would say, is how you serve. But they would say that all men have been, all men, all women, all beings have been seated with this. This is who we truly are. It's the essential self. It's the self that was first, the first created self, if you wish. That's the truth of who you are. So that's what they would call the Christ. Now, the coming into an awareness of that, not as an ideology or even as an aspiration, but as a vibration and a level of consciousness that can be aligned to is what they're teaching. So it's not a convenient teaching. It's really not. And then the guides say, you know, we don't write self-help books. And what they say sort of about this or, or has been said, I don't remember how it came out, but, you know, self-help books are for the small self that want to improve. The divine self is, is great. So it's about learning to be as the divine self. And you don't do that through an act of will. You do that through alignment and engagement because the divine self knows better than I do what I need to be expressed as. I want to just establish that distinction because that was beautiful. Self-help books are for the small self. Your book or books like your book are mm. for the establishment of the divine self, which doesn't need help. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I love that. That's fantastic. That's a pearl. That's an absolute pearl. That's a great reminder. I don't need help when I am inside my divine self. Or you have access to help, but it's the right help to support you in your evolution. I mean, that's, you know, we're here to learn. I hear that again and again and again. Just getting back to the Christ, I was brought up not religious at all. Me too, yeah. And my parents, you know, my, my mum's advice to me about religion was I was expelled from a couple of schools because I was naughty. And I went to a convent. They took me in. I wasn't Catholic. And I said to mum, what am I going to do about all this religious stuff, mum? She said, just ignore it, darling. That was my spiritual advice when I was young. And so the whole Jesus thing I saw as God botherers, as Bible bashers, you know, and it just seems to be Jesus loves me. Jesus, Jesus. And so I sort of left it alone. I pursued my spiritual and psychic abilities. It sort of left the whole Jesus thing behind. But the guy just keeps coming to me. <laughs> talking to me and my ego doesn't allow it because I've got this concept of Jesus being what the Bible belt presents and so reading in your book the Christ itself the Christ itself and you say everyone on the planet what about the Buddhists and the Hindus and it's not a religion the Christ isn't a religious concept okay it's it's the monad or the divine spark I think there's probably a name for it in every religion my guides use the language to transmit the information to people in a culture. But you can have the same concept without the trappings of, of religion. So I think that's the first thing. It's not exclusive. I mean, I think that when they're talking about the Christ itself, they're not talking about Jesus, the teacher, and the one who the religions are speaking about. I don't think that they're excluding it, but I think that they're, they're talking about who we are at an essence level. Everybody is. Now, I was raised to believe that people who believed in this stuff were stupid. People who prayed were really stupid. And it was a nice, smug, sort of New York upbringing. I think I went to church twice. I had a very quick stretch in a parochial school as well, and only because it was a cheap school. And I lasted there for a very short period of time before we moved. And I didn't recognize anything about the religious stuff. You just had to sit through it and I didn't care. 
But I do feel that in some ways, I had a very deep hunger for a spiritual life, but I would not have been able to identify it because I didn't know, it wasn't on the menu for me, but I also didn't come in when I began to open to this stuff with tremendous prejudice because I was open to the possibility. When you go from living in a world where there is no spirit at all, and it cannot be to one where you're getting some kind of evidence that there must be, whether it's seeing lights or feeling energy or channeling or even just knowing in your own heart that there's more to this than perhaps we've been told, everything changes. Everything changes. And then, you know, the journey begins. And the, the only journey that's required is the willingness, the willingness to go where we've been told maybe we shouldn't and we don't have the right to. You know, if the divine is in all men and all women, we're all worthy. We are all worthy of a relationship with the divine, like it or not, even when we don't think so. That's what the guides would say. You know, this is true even when you don't believe it. This is who you are even when you deny it. It cannot be anything other than the truth. You know, the divine is seated in everything, in everyone. Even, even the folks we don't like, and that's probably a whole other interview because they talk a lot about that. Being worthy of a relationship with the divine is a beautiful thing, but being worthy of being able to meet your needs as well, meet your desires or meet your wants, that's... You can't exclude them. Yeah. That's the thing. You see, if you're excluding them, then you're making the world, the material realm, the answer to the problems, as opposed to realizing that everything is in vibration, everything is in consciousness, and how you're vibrating calls to you what you believe that you can hold, which is a lot about what the book is teaching. I'm getting, want money? Remember love. Want health? Remember love. Want love? Remember love. <laughs> want a new house? Remember love. <laughs> want a new car? Remember love. Just yeah. like keep bringing it back to remember, like bring it back to within. Yeah, and recognize whatever you claim the source to be, and love is a wonderful word. Yeah, and whatever you claim. The way of understanding. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. It's been Thank you for having me. really beautiful to talk with you today. It's been really gorgeous. If people want to find out more about Paul, go to Paul's website, Paul Selleck dot com p-a-u-l-s-e-l-i-g dot com and you'll see the books there i'm excited about the new book when does the new book come out it comes out in january january 5th okay so we've got a little while well your journey between the, then and now will be an interesting one love to chat to you about that and the new book next year that would be fantastic because it sounds like no more the translator more more interaction for you, more living the works. So that's a wonderful ride. It's always beautiful to hear how pe other people do it because in your story, in your journey, we learn. So it's uh, been beautiful to talk with you today. And you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Isn't Paul wonderful? Oh, what a great conversation. If you'd like to know more about me and learning how to be a conscious creator and learn about my guides and what I'm teaching, go to Karen Swain. Dot com. You can book sessions there to chat to my guides or you can go and book a session with Paul. We're all out there to serve each other and to help each other. 
And also you can go to karenswain.com and listen to fascinating people that I've spoken to over the last four years on radio and on YouTube. Thanks again for joining me for another show. I look forward to serving you again next time. Bye for now.